Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Hi, you're listening to the very first episode of the Pet Show. Think of this as your weekly news source for the brave new world of emerging pet culture. What is that? Emerging what? It's simple. With the rise of social media has come an entirely new pet ecosystem with its own content, celebrities, and economy. This is what we're here to talk about. So yeah, famous pets, viral cat videos, memes, and hype dogs, luxury pet spas, and canine shampoo. We love this stuff and comb the far reaches of the internet to bring you the very best. That means exclusive interviews and real investigative reporting. The Pet Show, your podcast with a purpose. The bark stops here. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid. <coughs> and Peaches, and you're listening to The Pet Show on Audio Up. We're your trusted source for the latest in pet news and pet culture. Each week, we look at stories and trends affecting your four-legged friends, dogs, Cats, reptiles, and more. Mosho. Ballin' on you hard, cat-tastic. What? Yeah, I love my cats in this drastic. What? What? Cat lady bad, gotta have it. What up, toy? You know what I'm saying? Stop me doing smoking in cat world. Okay. Ballin' on you hard, cat-tastic. Yeah, I love my cats in this drastic. We got it. Cat lady bad, gotta have it. Our first story takes us to the Portland, Oregon studio of Dwayne Morlock, a.k.a. Mosho the Cat Rapper. In the already abundant universe of viral cat content, Mosho has become its Drake, a singular voice whose muse happens to be a hairless sphinx cat named Ravioli. He dropped his first hit just before Christmas 2016, gifting the internet with cat bath rap. Gotta give my cat a bath. Can they add it up and even do the path? Hey, I should I picked up where I left off, or creeped up where I crept off, or stepped up where I stepped off, or feeling like I'm fresh off, fresh off that. Gotta give my son a bath. Can you add it up? Can you even do the math? And he's a special cat, so he does need a bath. So I don't want no hate. Can you please clear the path? Cat people love you. Walk up to you, hug you. Me and Ravioli right here, nothing above you. Why do you think that first? video of yours went viral my cat family they know that the love is real and they know that the things that we go through and the things that we talk about it's just been genuine a lot of these people have been following me for seven eight years you know before that was a viral hit and everything like that so i think people have just been you know just watching me uh do my thing they've never seen someone give a bath to a cat and uh the cat actually willingly wants to take the bath and, and everything like that and also at the same time it was educational as well it just wasn't it wasn't too go viral i was i i give them baths and you know i figured well while i'm giving them baths i might as well educate people on why i am giving him a bath as well so i think it was just you know maybe a double whammy effect educational and never seen before and stuff like that and you were giving them baths because they're sphinx cats which are the hairless cats that uh have skin similar to human skin so they tend to get absolutely dirtier right absolutely yeah yeah you know some people just uh see them sometimes people have two effects they even say oh that's an ugly cat or they you know they immediately want one but you know with with unique cats uh comes a you know great big responsibility they don't have at all so they have skin like us so that requires baths 
and um, DJ Ravioli is half, uh, he's half Sphinx, he's Devin, he's Devin Rex, so he gets only a little fur as well, so he has that gene in him, so he has to get a bath every uh, two weeks, or his hair will start to um, clump together and um, get really, really sticky, and yeah, we got to get those oils out and clean <laughs> Moshow has created a safe place for cat lovers online with his friends and fans, checking in daily with his 500,000 Facebook fans and 32,000 people recently tuned in for his latest story time, where he read from his book, Adopt a Cat. Something strange was happening in Moshow's neighborhood. There were homeless cats everywhere. Cats in the bushes, cats in the trees. Frightening mothers and children ran in every direction because there was just no control in the cats. Oh no, look. The cats are going crazy. They're all over the place. Climbing cats and jumping cats. There were just too many cats. Look at this. These cats are all over the place. You know what I mean? Moshe worried about all of his cat friends without a home of their own. The city overrun by cats. Mayor calls in the experts. What? Oh, Ravioli just meow. I mean, obviously cats rule the internet. And, yeah. and, and you've tapped into this entire feline media ecosystem with Mosho. Right. What's your larger ambition for your music and the Mosho brand? I just published my sixth book. I got three coloring books. I got a How to Draw Cats book, and then I have a Adopt a Cat bedtime story book for children. And, you know, so you can read at night. It's a, a, a nurse. It's like a rhymery book. And then I just did the new Tough Times book about the pandemic. My sticker apps, uh, where you can text me on like uh, iPhones and Androids and all of that. And I got four albums. I dropped, you know, four albums and my clothes and just, just more of everything. Mosho the Cat Rapper, like many touring musicians, has had to find new revenue streams and new ways to perform during COVID-19. He's taken to Facebook Live to engage with his community. In his latest performance, the quarantine cat rapper live show nearly 30,000 people tuned in to listen to his cat stylings and engage and with his larger up? cat it's community. The cat live concert, Let's have a listen. DJ Ravioli, you know how we get down. You know what's up? Let's go, baby. Yeah, 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 we in the building. Check this out. We're going to start this off with a special thanks to uh, Debbie Yonkers. Debbie sent us a gift uh, to our P.O. box. She sent us uh, she sent us two big bags of uh, cat food, and she also sent us a gift card. So this is to you, Debbie Yonkers, Norwoods Humans. Debbie Yonkers, thank you very much. For the offer, thank you for sending us the cat food. That will go a long way. We really, really, really appreciate it. So let's give Debbie Yonker some applause. Have you received any surprising requests for collabs from other recording artists? A kind of a different thing, and and maybe people still aren't. They still don't understand me yet. But you know that that's okay. That that's okay. I I love breaking down barriers, and that's right. And, and I love. I love being a, a trailblazer, so I got a good thing going. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, uh, do you have any uh, a, uh, anything written into your uh, tour writer for your cats that is uh, specific to them and, and their care yeah, when, yeah, when you get yeah, to yeah. A, a location? 
I don't need a lot. So it's just the essentials, you know, make sure there's a litter box there. I need the litter box. I need the cat treats. I need the cat food. I need some cat toys. And I'm good with that. I mean, I, I don't really require, I don't, I don't require that much, but as long as the cats are taken care of and, and they're fine, I'm more so focusing on that. When I did travel with, with one of my cats, you know, my main focus is making sure that my cat is, is comfortable. That is what the priority is, which is why I stopped bringing the cats as much. I need to be, I need to be focused and in, 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 in the moment and it's a big deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Do you have any new bars that you've written that you can freestyle for us? I love cats. You love cats. We love cats. I hope that you see that. Mosho, I need that. Got some cats. Give me feedback. If she's a cat lady, I'm going to tell her that I love her. Walk up to her, hug her. Put nothing above her. Never show the shrug her. We got them cat bars. Mosho going real. Got them cat far. I got five cats. Hoping that you liking that. I got the cat lady. Love cat ladies. Hoping that they writing back. I got these cats. And I'm the cat in the hat. Cat in the Mac, we got these cats in the back. Got these cats right here, we got them cats over there. I'm gonna tell everybody, put them cats up in the air. Mosho the cat rapper, everybody. <laughs> Mosho, thank you so much. Uh, this has been fantastic. I appreciate yes, your really. time. I know you're really yeah. busy and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And thanks for coming on the show. Peaches, peaches. I want to kind of keep it down a little bit. Can you just keep it down a little bit, right? And now the latest in pet news. You ever wonder if your dog, or your cat for that matter, watches television? If you've ever seen them watching the ball go back and forth during a Wimbledon broadcast, you know that they do. But what about other programming? For example, do they watch commercials? What about scripted programming? According to a recent article published by Mental Floss, they do, just not in the way that you thought. In 2012, a television commercial aired in the UK for Baker's Dog Food. That was conceived and produced specifically to attract the attention of dogs. The spot used high-frequency sounds that are inaudible to human ears. In theory, the dog would be so captivated by the advertisement that owners would take note and perhaps purchase bakers for their next meal. For dogs who love meat, there's a meal that's 100% complete and balanced. Baker's Meaty Meals.
full of soft, meaty chunks with all the goodness your dog needs. Dogs will do anything for Baker's Meaty Meals. Get them while you can. This didn't quite work. Many dogs failed to react at all, proving that when it comes to television ads, humans may be more impressionable than canines. While pets may not be so easily manipulated, they still find the television screen interesting, sometimes reacting to other dogs, animals, sounds, or images. But what is a dog really seeing when they tune in? When it comes to color, television is no different from reality for a dog. They have dichromatic vision, which means that they see the world through the range of two primary colors, yellow and blue. Humans have trichromatic vision, able to see the full color spectrum. Cone cells in canine eyes are also believed to blur their sight to a degree. More importantly, dogs process the frame rate or flicker fusion frequency of screens differently than people. Humans can detect movement at between 16 and 20 frames per second. Dogs need 70 frames per second or more. If they're looking at an older television, it might resemble a flipbook or even a strobe light effect to them. Modern sets have a faster frame rate, which is why dogs might be more interested in your high-definition television. That helps explain the visuals. What about the content? Typically, dogs will react to the same thing, barking, squeaking toys, or commands. Sit. In a study published in Animal Cognition in 2013, nine dogs were observed to see if they could pick out the face of another dog, regardless of breed, on a computer screen instead of other animals or persons. The dogs were rewarded with treats with a successful choice. Though the sample size was small, it indicated dogs can recognize other dogs on a screen, which you likely already know if you have ever observed your dog suddenly on alert when a canine appears on camera. If your dog used to get excited by another dog on television, but has since lost interest, it's possible they simply became desensitized to their appearance realizing the image in front of them isn't going to move out of the boundaries of the monitor and come play with them. Content unrelated to dogs might not be of much interest. In a 2017 study published in the International Journal of Human Computer Studies, dogs presented with three different viewing screens didn't exhibit any particular preference for one over the other. If they were shown three screens at one time, they seemed uninterested in watching anything at all so dogs can't really multitask. The study also noted that dogs had a limited television attention span. Rather than mimic the binge-watching habits of humans, dogs preferred to glance at a screen for a few seconds at a time. But that behavior could also be breed-specific. Dogs bred for hunting might be interested in moving objects, while dogs that rely more on smell might be indifferent. And what about cats? In a study published in Applied Animal Behavior in 2008, 125 shelter cats were given a television to view for up to three hours a day. The cats were split into five groups and given a variety of programming to watch, from humans to footage of prey to a blank screen. On average, cats spent just 6.1% of the observation time watching the screen. What they did, it was mostly to focus on the prey. Because cats may react to images of birds and rodents on television, owners should avoid letting them watch unattended. You can also secure the set to a wall to make sure they don't knock it down. For the most part, dogs and cats are more interested in what's going on in the real world compared to what's on TV. We would probably take a lesson from their limited screen time. Now for all you 
ASMR freaks out there. Here's a cat purring. In this next segment, we travel to South Atlanta, Georgia, home to Pitfall Kennels and its owner, Antoine Patton, also known as Big Boy, one half of the seminal early aughts hip-hop duo, Outkast. Pitfall serves as both a traditional kennel where people board their pets in full-on breeding operation run by Big Boy's younger brother, James, who since the late 90s has been in charge of the operation, which over the years has become a sort of canine mecca for hip-hop stars, professional athletes, and celebrities looking for purebred pits and French bulldogs. The Frenchies, as they're known, have become the hot dog, says Patton, who was unable to breed enough of them to meet the high demand for buyers like Taraji P. Henson and Serena Williams. And now with COVID-19, he's been cleaned out again, with everybody wanting something to take home and cuddle. And these aren't your typical shelter dogs, either. Pitfall purebred pits and Frenchies start at $3,500 and go up in price based on color and other physical attributes. Let's go back now to the beginning of Stankonia, where as Big Boy says, all things are funky. It was here in a one-bedroom apartment in Atlanta that Big Boy was living with four pit bulls when he had the idea to start the Ritz-Carlton for dogs. I was taught by L.A. Reid. He always taught me to invest in what you know. And with Outkast, like when we first got our first publishing check, we went out and bought equipment to produce. And then we started producing on our second album. We were just investing in what you know and investing in yourself. It, just, it keeps rolling over. Me and my brother are dog lovers. So it was like a natural progression. Pitfall Kennels, we do American Bullies, English Bulldogs, and French Bulldogs. They say you don't mix family and business, but my brother's dedicated to it. His work ethic is incredible. Seven in the morning, he's up. Early in the morning, you come out here, let them run around, let them play, exercise a little bit, feed them, clean up, pressure wash the kennels out. It's an all-day operation for me, and it never stops. No days off. With Big Boy serving as the spokesperson for Pitfall Kennels, James runs the day-to-day -day operations where he's become the de facto seller of pit bulls and Frenchies to celebrities all over the South. Let's take a listen as he lists some of his more famous clientele. More famous clientele back in the day, the first one would I say was, I think Usher Raymond bought a dog for me, Jermaine Dupri, 50 Cent. Matter of fact, the whole G unit, they bought a dog from us. Uh, Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire, NFL ball players, a couple of uh, baseball players. I mean, I like the all sports, you know, uh, Nia Long just got one, Taraji, Taraji P. Henson, she just purchased a Frenchie from me. I mean, it's just, this goes on, man. I mean, I'm oh, just, I'm sure. 
did the entire G unit like roll up on, on, on pitfall at the same time and buy dogs? Like, like how did that I, work? I actually <laughs> rolled up on them. You know, they was actually here for like a tour that they did. They were staying at the, at the matter of fact, they were staying at the Ritz Carlton <laughs> on P street. And they just took the pups with them on the tour bus and away they went. Yeah. Yep, that's how we know. No, actually, I met him at the, at the Rich Carlton, and then the next day I went to the to the venue to meet them to actually drop the pups off at the venue. So it was like just behind, you know, the, uh, the trailers and stuff with the puppies and everything. It was it was cool, man. It was nice. Right on. Did, and did they get Frenchies or, or, or pits? Like pit bulls back back then. Those were right the pit bull days. And I saw a video that yeah. you posted with uh, Rick Ross. What kind of dog did he buy? He got a pit, too. He got a pit, too. Yeah, I forgot Rick Ross. Yeah, shout out to Rick Ross. He, he came. He actually came out here to the facility, and you know, hand picked his dog. Yep. Is he? That was is, cool. Is, is is he a dog lover? Is he is he big into into canines? Is that why he came yeah. out? Yeah, he is. He definitely is. Um, he got that dog, and then he came back, and you know, was looking at another dog to get. I think I actually sold him two dogs actually. So yeah, he's he's a big you know he's big into canines. Yeah, he, he loves dogs. What's the dog's name? I don't even know. I don't even remember what he named the dog. I'm not even sure. I know a 50, 50 cents dog name was Dollar, though. I do remember that. Can't forget that dog's name. Dollar? Yeah, that was 50 cents dog's name. His name was Dollar. <laughs> That's great. That. James goes on to tell me that his clients, who only used to want pit bulls, are now clamoring for one thing, French bulldogs. It's now become the de facto dog of hip-hop. Over the world, basically, not even just hip-hop. It's just everybody, these Frenchies, these Frenchies have really just taken over, like, when it comes to, to, to dogs, to pets. I mean, when I got into the, you know, breeding back in, I don't probably like 10, 12 years ago, it wasn't so popular, you know, everybody was in on. So I was doing bulldogs, I do English bulldogs also. So, I mean, it was, it was popular, but it wasn't as popular as it is now. Like, everybody who had the bullies is now trying to, you know, get into the Frenchies. Is that because they're smaller? Like, it's like an easier dog to take care of? I think so, because you can travel with them. Low maintenance, you know, not very, very hard to take care of them. They and, and the inside dogs, and you can, like I said, you can travel with them. You can put them in like a little, a little carry bag, and just hop on the plane and take them with you wherever you, wherever you go. Or you can travel with them in the cars and everything. In 2016, looking to expand his canine empire, Big Boy partnered with pet product entrepreneur Bobby Panter to release a line of canine shampoo. Bobby. And I'm Big Boy over here. And this is the brand new Big Boy and Bobby dog shampoo right here. It is tear free. And it's salt free. And it makes your dog smells good for long periods of time. I am a true, true believer and testimonial person to that because I have two dogs in the house now that smell great because they are using this right here and it smells scrumptious. And we're excited to launch it. We've got two lines. We've got Big Boy and Bobby. Right. And we've got Big and Bobby. Exactly. I was introduced to Bobby through my brother, James, who was my partner. We, we run a kennel out of Atlanta called Pitfall Kennels. And myself personally, I have two 160-pound Rottweilers that live inside my house. And they get groomed every Thursday. By the time Saturday comes, they smell like they didn't even have a bath. So. My brother had some dogs and he brought them over one time and he had used a different type of shampoo and it turns out that it was Bobby's shampoo that he used and it lasts longer. Uh, he was like, she wanted to meet me. So I invited Bobby to Stankonia, my studio in Atlanta, and we got to talking. Um, I got a chance to actually have my groomer use the, or my Rottweilers at home. The dogs are so shiny, they look like marble floors. Big Boy's love for animals goes far beyond pitfall and includes a host of exotic animals making his home a veritable wildlife sanctuary. 
He is an animal person. He's like a, a Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> That's what I call him. He, he just got like a little, uh, one of those Savannah exotic cats. He got two of those. Like, he loves he loves animals, man. He, the owls are cool. Uh, he has two Rottweilers that he that he uh, has at his house. So, yeah, he, he's a dog. He's, a, he's an animal person. Not just a dog. He just loves animals. What are those owls' names again? Uh, Hootie and Houdini. And have you met them? Do they just, like, hang out, like, in the studio or wherever I, he is? I, I actually met him for the first time the other day, like, about two weeks ago. And um, they're pretty cool, man. They're just some chill little, little animals, man. They just sit on the, on the table and just, you know, turn their head around and just look at you from, from the back. They just turn their head, like, three seconds. Oh, I forgot about that, that they can do yeah, that. Yeah, they just spin ahead, head, man. It's like, it's creepy, but it's cool. They just sit and just stare at you, but they're just real cool and just calm. Let's listen in as Big Boy introduces his pet owls, Hootie and Houdini, and a few of their friends. Houdini, cool ass Tula. Guess who learned how to perch? Perch, perch, perch. Learn how to perch. Don't do it. 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 There you go. Don't do it. Oh. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Starting to get you a little everything. All your fur coming in. Yeah. <laughs> and now to answer questions about your pet's health, it's Ask a Vet. This week we talked to San Diego veterinarian Dr. Ruthann McPeat, also known as the Pet Vet on Good Morning America. Let's hear what she has to say about common pet ailments. Okay, we've got Dr. Ruthann McPeat here. Dr. McPeat, I want to touch on a subject here that I think is going to be important to a lot of our listeners. We're stuck at home, we're stuck inside with our pets, and some of us are consuming a lot of edibles. What happens if your dog or your cat gets into your stash and eat edibles. Marijuana definitely can be toxic to pets. Again, it's a lot of times it's that the animal gets into something and the quantity that they consume can be very dangerous to them. So you do want to make sure that if your pet gets into anything, if they get into a stash of marijuana, if they eat edibles, anything like that, that you get them to a veterinarian or if it happens at night to an emergency clinic, signs typically develop anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes after they're eaten. So again, you want to get them in right away. Um, and they, you know, they, there are a number of different signs. They can obviously be very lethargic or listless. They have dilated pupils. They can have a slow heart rate. They can be, uh, you know, look like they're kind of dizzy where they're uncoordinated. They can fall over and appear drowsy. Um, high enough doses can be fatal. So you do really want to get your pet into a veterinarian and make sure this is okay. They're typically given supportive care where they're given fluids to help support them and flush everything out and any other medicines they need to support them while it gets out of their system. Once and for all, can they get COVID-19? Yes, there have been a couple of cases where you've probably heard about the tiger um, at the Bronx Zoo and there was a 
um, a dog in Hong Kong. There have been some animals. There was a dog in North Carolina that tested positive for COVID. Um, and there have been some cats that have tested positive. There's still a lot we don't know about this virus. And there's a lot of information coming in daily. So the dog in North Carolina that tested positive, actually, they are now saying that that dog did not actually have active infection, but had virus particles in the nasal cavity. And that's what was why it was getting a positive test. So again, we just don't have all the facts about this virus. And as you know, things are changing all the time. I think the most important thing that I tell people is that you want to treat your pets like you would any other family member. And you want to obviously keep cats inside. With dogs, you want to limit their exposure to other pets. You want to keep them just interacting with the family and not be taking them ideally to dog parks or interacting with other people outside of your family right now. Because again, we're just learning stuff about this virus and information is changing daily. So um, it's always best to treat your pets like you would your family members and really kind of keep them isolated amongst your family. That's going to be the safest way to protect them and to protect yourselves. The Reptile Report is up next on The Pet Show. Enough is enough! I have had it with these mother snakes on this mother plane! Everybody strap in! I'm about to open some fucking windows. Let's talk about reptiles. No longer just the hobby of the weird dude with tattoos who will let you take a picture of yourself with his boa constrictor. The reptile industry, which consists of some 10,000 different captive bred species, from snakes and iguanas to toads and tortoises and chameleons, is a nearly $500 million a year industry. That's right, half a billion dollars for reptiles. I was curious to find out more about this slippery business and reached out to Lauren Lee of Triple L Reptile, in Oceanside, California, to answer some of my more ridiculous questions about this growing hobby. For instance, if I buy a snake, will it know me and love me? Do reptiles have a conscious? Let's find out. You know, that's a good question, and, and there's a lot of debate in that. They're not sophisticated enough to really feel that kind of emotion that's been proven. They're very basic, and that's what makes them interesting, is that they know weather, conditions, humidity, how to eat, and how to survive. But I will say that the way that one person holds one and one other person holds one, the snake will be able to identify the difference if it's being held correctly or not. They can associate things. Um, one of the big um, things that's recommended, for example, with snakes is you never feed them in the environment they live in. They will immediately associate every time that lid of that cage or that enclosure opens that it's food. So they do pick on little subtle things such as that. Now, are they going to know you over your daughter? Probably not, unless your daughter always picks it up by the tail and you always pick it up by the head. They might be able to associate that, but that would be about as complex as I've personally seen it. Now, I like to watch them eat. What's the best snake for watching something consume a mouse or a small rabbit? You know, because I know some like won't eat for weeks. Like, what? Like, if if, if I want something that's going to like chow down all the time and do it in a Cool, invisible way. What's what's that? The best species for that? 
Uh, ball python is probably uh, the number one most popular reptile for that and many other reasons. It'll eat on demand. Basically, if you want to watch it physically feed, it's going to do that for you. The industry has trended towards feeding frozen, no longer live, which is a great thing. Why is that? Safer for the food that you're feeding it. You know, nobody wants to see that. I mean, we like to see things feed, but maybe not to that level. Right. You know, and then also it, it brings out things in your snake you may not want. You don't want an aggressive snake that's attacking things that move. Right, you know, right. In, in the wild, you know, you forget that in the wild, these, these animals are eating things that are dying or already dead or not healthy. You throw a healthy live rodent in there, that rodent may stand its ground. Um, so you, you could be hurting the animal as well. So the, the industry is really trended more towards uh, frozen food because it's safer, it's humane. Uh, there's a lot of other benefits to it. It's it's not going to have any internal concerns in terms of parasites that it can transfer since it's been frozen. Um, but you still get the feeding response that you're kind of talking about. So so ball pythons probably are some of the most fascinating. And for me as a hobbyist, I find things that are arboreal, tree, tree dwellers. Watching something eat that lives in the tree, like a green tree python. I don't know if you're familiar with these. But, you know, you have this snake that's sitting on a branch, looks like a garden hose laying over a tree branch, and it it dangles its tail down, and the tail looks like a fake worm, and it wiggles it around and attracts birds and hummingbirds and other things. Oh, and just watching the speed of this thing just firing out and grabbing its food and yet eating and consuming it in the tree is just fascinating. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. What would you say your best-selling... Uh, reptiles are by by species at the moment bearded dragon always you know i one thing i say with reptiles is animals that are popular popular for a reason you know everyone loves hawaii it's beautiful of course who doesn't want to go to hawaii you know bearded dragon's amazing i would say ball pythons so many different colors so many different patterns if you want a yellow one you want a butter one you want a black one there's that's ball pythons bearded dragons just have that that personality, you know, you can hold them, you can watch TV with them, you can put them on a table and they're going to sit there for 20 minutes. You can walk them on a leash, right? People put them on leashes. It's just, it's just an all around incredible reptile. Tortoises are, are by far probably one of the more rewarding, you know, having something outside, uh, you know, you dangle lettuce and it comes to you like a dog. It just has a different personality to it. And then I, I don't want to discredit frogs and spiders. You know, these are great animals too. Frogs, you know, the, the, the frog consumer and the popularity of frogs is really an environment. I mean, who doesn't want a piece of a rainforest in a tank in their living room and then adding a beautiful colored frog to it? So each animal, you know, those animals I'd probably put are, are probably trending the most popular right now. Do you ever come across the psychedelic toads, the, the ones that the indigenous people, the Brazilian rainforest use for medicinal purposes? There are some, um, you know, sadly, in order to get the medicinal properties of some of these, you have to unfortunately kill them. We do have some amphibians here in the United States. A Colorado river toad has a hallucinogenic property, but all animals, but reptiles specifically are very regulated on the state, federal and, and city levels. And a lot of these animals are not allowed um, just for that reason in mind. Really? Or because they're protected for the environments in which they live. So no, we don't we don't deal in anything like that. Right. I I imagine there'd get some joker who'd like start licking the toad like Homer Simpson or something, thinking there'd be a, a an effect right away or something. 
Well, you'd, you'd be amazed at what you have to do, number one, to get them to do that. And then what you're consuming would gross you out. Getting the foam off the rear leg of a frog and licking it is far from interesting to me. Um, but, you know, to each his own on that one. Yeah, 100%. Nothing. Here we go. Yeah. Huh? What the? Hello? Is there anybody in there? Marge! Let's talk about spiders. I'm fascinated with tarantulas. Do they make good pets? Yes, it's a great, very emerging group of owners. Uh, the hobby has always been there, but it's kind of always been on the back burner and it's starting to now move more like I kind of suggested earlier on our talk. It's becoming more of a, an acceptable, you know, if, you're, if your eight-year-old says, hey, I have a red knee tarantula at home, it's as normal these days as having a hamster. Um, tarantulas are really good pets, but it, it's one of those animals you really want to go to a show, a store like ours, or, or really research out the animal that's best for you because it's a massive category. Tarantulas, there's probably, I mean, I just throw a figure out, but you might, I could easily rattle off 2,000 of them to you that are just commonly around in the pet trade. Um, 2,000 separate species of tarantulas. Correct. Wow. That are just, just ones that you might actually be able to purchase, not including the other multiple thousands that are out there. But, you know, you want to be concerned with, um, is it something you want to hold? Is it something that's fast? Is it something that's aggressive? Um, you know, once you figure these out, there's always a tarantula that's perfect for someone. It's just figuring that out. So, for example, a red knee tarantula, a rose hair Guyana Pinto, Honduran curly hairs. These are all great pets for easy habitats. You can hold them, can feed them from tongs. Where uh, an Indian ornamental spider would be something you would never ever be able to even touch, but is incredible to look at. That sounds great. What do they eat? The tarantulas that you sell in your stores, what kind of species is that? And then what do they require from a habitat standpoint and what do they eat? Big question to kind of generalize it. Most of them are going to be insect eaters, crickets, worms, bigger species can eat cockroaches, even up to mice. There's some species that can even eat adult or larger rodents. Uh, Goliath bird eaters, for example, can get the size of a dinner plate. Um, those are available in stores like ours. Habitat, the nice thing I think that really draws people to tarantulas is their habitats are small. Um, they don't need big space. In fact, they actually stress out in larger spaces. So if you have a spider, let's say that's four to five inches, it would be perfectly fine and maybe just as small as a five gallon tank. Because if think about the wild, the spider's not going to leave its web. It's not going to go far from where its home is. The, the basic overall habitat for a spider, most people are using uh, products out there called uh, eco-earth or plantation soils, things that hold moisture. They look a lot like a soil. You don't want to use a soil from a hardware store. You definitely want to purchase it for specific spider use because there are things in soils that can be harmful that we add to potting soils and things. Hiding burrow, small water dish, very little heat, if none at all, depending on where you live. And again, another thing that really makes them popular is they don't 
They don't require a lot. They don't need special lighting. They don't need a lot of heat. So we find that people that really kind of dive into the hobby of, of, of tarantulas and owning those generally don't own one. They own 12 because they're so easy. You can put them on a bookcase, uh, feeding them a cricket, maybe two a week at most. Again, super, super easy animal. Now, I keep hearing about people who are trying to bring different pets on, on airplanes as like, as like comfort pets. You've got like comfort chickens and comfort dogs. Like, have you heard anybody of trying to get a permit for a comfort reptile? We have. Article that went around a couple of months ago about someone trying to get a monitor on an airplane as a comfort animal. So yeah, there are those out there. You know, and I will say that even in our stores, we do have some people that I think, I wouldn't say comfort, but people that have different disabilities that find a lot of comfort in reptile ownership because it is an animal that you can not have to hold to keep it. You don't have to walk it. You don't have to clean up after it. And there is a lot to be said about interacting with an animal, even in an, in an enclosed environment. So we see a lot of that, but not in terms of airplanes and buses. <laughs> it lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. An alligator half that size would starve in a week. He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators? In the sewers? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. Now, no one will forget it. Alligator. And now, final question. I want to put an urban legend to rest. Are there alligators in the sewers from people that flush them down the toilets as pets? You know, you, I hear stories of it. I've never seen it or heard of it in terms of print form. I have heard of snakes popping up in apartment uh, toilets, uh, but not alligators. Excellent. So I think that urban legend is gone. And, you know, it, uh, oddly, most states uh, don't allow the sale of alligators any longer. So that legend of the 70s and 80s when you... Uh, used to be able to pick up a publication and go to the classifieds and send 50 cents to Florida and they'd mail you one. Um, those days are long since past, but uh, those days did exist at one time. And there you have it, folks. Lesson for today. Don't lick toads. There are not alligators in the sewers. And tarantulas make great pets. Talk to you later. Meow, 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 meow.